Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Burt's Books podcast. Crazy busy this week with a uh, relatively huge number of orders to send out. The irony being that uh, I've always had people offering to help me pack parcels and, and stuff, but now I've got enough to actually need their help. No one's allowed to leave the house, or at least that's what they're telling me. But it does at least give me something to do. The upshot is that despite being at home all the time, I haven't read as much as I might normally again. But I did manage one and a half, so I will tell you about those books. But that will help explain why it's a slightly shorter podcast this week. That and the massive 2,000-piece Disney jigsaw I have got on the go, which is nearly done, so it is demanding a lot of my attention at the moment. As well as one and a half book reviews in this episode, I have also got an update on the charts, and we will talk about your favourite big books. My doorbell is working again, so hurrah! Sadly, I have not actually had any parcel deliveries this week, so there isn't anything to unpack. However, I do have one that I forgot to open last week. It's The Authenticity Project by Claire Pooley. It has on the front, it's uh, sort of the bottom half is like a shop with sort of a red and white awning on the top. Um, It reminds me a little bit of Bella's Cafe in um, Fireman Sam. And in the window of the shop, it has a sign saying it's the feel-good book of 2020. And God knows what you could do with that right now. Lots of brilliant positive comments on the back from the likes of Sophie Kinsella, who says, I loved it. Such an intriguing premise. A clever, uplifting book that entertains and makes you think. And Mike Gale, who says, beautifully written, thought-provoking and uplifting. A joy to read. So that is two uplifting's there and one intriguing premise. What is that intriguing premise? Well, let's read the blurb and find out. Where was it now, he wondered, that little book that had caused such a transformation? Had his project ground to a halt so soon, or was it out in the world somewhere, weaving more magic? Desperate to confess the deep loneliness he feels, Julian, real age 84, not the 79 he likes to pretend, and no longer the flamboyant artist he claims to be, writes down the truth about his life in a small green notebook calling it the Authenticity Project and leaving it on a table at Monica's Café, a warm, friendly place where Julian escapes at his most lonely moments. He never expects Monica to find it and track him down. Or that as the book is passed on, it's not only Julian who will find out it's time to face its truth. The Authenticity Project is a heartwarming novel about the importance of truth, connection and friendship in a society that continues to put up barriers. And that is coming out on uh, Thursday, the 2nd of April. That's this Thursday. So I will add it to the website and you can order your copy if you like the sound of it. Or check back in next week's podcast because I am going to start reading this one tonight. It is a tough time to try and read, uh, for me at least, at the moment. As well as jigsaws and, and the like, there's an awful lot of news about and very little of it is good. Plus, 
suddenly, even though everyone's trapped in their houses, everyone's trying to now be social and wanting to text or ring or have virtual house parties. And I have spoken to people this week I would have barely nodded to in the street prior to all this. It is exhausting. So I keep just going to bed and not reading. But one of the most pleasant things I did this week was a virtual pub quiz with my friends. I was writing the questions, so it gave me an excuse to revisit uh, an old favourite for the theme. I found it down a quiet, dark street in a leafy part of Surrey. Funny stuff is happening on the news reports in the living room of number four. But outside, a witch, a wizard and a giant on a motorbike are overseeing the arrival of Harry Potter to the Dursley's life. I'll not bother reading out the blurb to Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, and I feel like I probably barely need to mention that it's written by J.K. Rowling, but I will. It's written by J.K. Rowling. I remember way back in the autumn of 1997, it would have been, I was looking for a new box of books to that had come into the classroom. Uh, my teacher was a school librarian, so we got kind of all the best new books, and uh, being sort of the resident book geek, I got the first pick of all the new books. So I was digging through this box, and I picked out a purple and red book that looked like it might be fun. And I know, I know for sure I picked it up because of the colours. Uh, I know you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but there you go. That's why I picked that, this up. But then I read the back, and I thought, yeah, this sounds right. Let's pop it in the bag. So I took it home with me and I read it. And ever since then, Harry Potter has been a place of comfort for me. It's familiar, but different world that I can escape into when this one is getting me down. It is also completely undemanding. It's a book I know so well that I barely need to look at the pages to even read it. But when I do reread it, what strikes me every time, though, is how simple it is. It's a little over 220 pages, and just for the sake of context, in uh, Order of the Phoenix, Harry's only just having his first school lessons at page 220. Uh, but so much happens in the in Philosopher's Stone. Uh, not only does it introduce us to this new world, to these new characters, but it also tells a fun adventure story that will entertain any child or adult. But it is definitely a children's book in the way that some of the others aren't. There's darkness and horror and that that was kind of always there, but it all kind of happens quickly and, and so Rowling doesn't really dwell on it. But I can't help but wonder how much he would have added to the story if it was a bit longer, if it was the same length as some of the other books. The climax kind of whizzes by, actually, for me. Uh... And, and Dumbledore, who is everybody's favourite, barely features. I mean, obviously, he's in the very first chapter, and he briefly appears at the start of School Banquet. But apart from those elements, there's a conversation he has with Harry at Christmas, and then the conversation he has with him at the end of the school year. And I can't help but wonder whether they would have had a stronger relationship early on if, if Rowling had had a few more pages to fill. Uh, but I think if he could write it again, I'd like to see more time in the school, expanding on the relationships that would appear later in the series, and just 
making Harry and Hermione and Ron just seem that little bit more real. That They kind of don't like each other, don't like each other, don't like each other, bam, hit a troll over the head with a club, best friends, and then spend all of their time together. And I think that would have been nicer to develop a bit more over time. But I am, you know, that is just nitpicking. And it's a children's book. First and foremost, it's a children's book. And it is, it it does it really, really well. Because even though it's short, Rowling packs a huge amount in. As well as all the stuff just for this book, there are clues and connections to all the later books. For instance, Hagrid borrows the motorbike he uses in the first chapter from a certain Sirius Black. And we have mention of Mrs Fig. It's just a throwaway mention of a character who will return with an expanded role several books later. And it's that kind of writing that always made me want to write myself and and got me back into reading I think it's it's the way she has planted things throughout the early books of the series that would then bear fruit later on and that just fascinates me that you could put in so much information that a lot of people will just dismiss straight away as as sort of background noise which actually becomes really pertinent if you want to reread harry potter and the philosopher's stone it is obviously available now on the birthsbooks.co.uk website but you could also treat yourself to an illustrated copy which has some wonderful drawings by jim mckay or if you're feeling particularly flush get a copy of the beautiful deluxe illustrated edition though if you don't I do get to keep it for myself so I'm always sort of reluctant to try and sell that one. I still remember picking that first copy out of the box when I was 10 but I also still remember writing my my book review of it at the time. It was just one piece of A4 and I drew Dumbledore along with it taking up most of the page and I quoted him trying one of the Bertie Bott's Every Flavour Jelly Beans. Alas, earwax. So my review was probably, I liked this book, and then filled with drawings and quotes. But I know that I did end it with a wish that was granted, but one that I still wish. And that wish was, I hope Miss Rowling writes more books in this series. Last week, I asked you to tell me which was your favourite big book. And, fittingly, I got a huge number of responses. I had replies as wide-ranging as The Lady Kinner by Martina Cole to James Joyce and Ulysses. But the three that did get the most votes were The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt, A Suitable Boy by Vikram Seth, which was uh, one of Rowan Coleman's Shelf Life picks. Have a listen to her episode of the podcast. But at the top of the pile was A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara, which uh, was possibly influenced by my own early admission that it was my favourite big book. In fact, it's my favourite book. I could wax lyrical about that book for hours, but suffice to say I became emotionally attached and it's both to the book and its characters in a way that no other book has ever come close to sort of connecting with me. I was probably crying on and off for the last hundred pages or so, and I know for a fact I couldn't see for tears that were streaming down my face when it came to reading the last two pages. There's just one moment there that just got me, and even thinking about it now, it sort of is, is welling up the emotions. 
I have never cried like that over a book before. And it was quite the shock at the time. So it's definitely worth a read, but be prepared if you're going to be out in public when you're hitting the last hundred pages. Uh, make sure you have some tissues with you. Uh, this week, in honour of uh, rereading Harry Potter, I would like to know which book is your go-to comfort book. When you don't know what to read or when you need clearing up, which book do you always return to? Let me know. Email me at burtsbooks.co.uk or send me a tweet at burtsbooks. So I did promise you one and a half book reviews this week. And actually, I think with uh, a little life thrown in just then, it might actually make a full two book reviews. But the reason I'm saying it's one and a half is because the book that I am about to talk about right now, I'm actually still reading. Uh, It's, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm enjoying it. So I am going to tell you about it. It is Black River by Will Dean. Uh, I will read the blurb to you now. Black River is an electrifying return for relentless reporter Tuva Moodison from the author of Dark Pines and Red Snow. Tuva's been living clean in southern Sweden for four months when she receives horrifying news. Her best friend Tammy Yamnin has gone missing. Racing back to Gavrik at the heart of midsummer, Tuva fears for Tammy's life. Who has taken her and why? And who is sabotaging the small town search efforts? Surrounded by dark pine forest, the sinister residents of Snake River are suspicious of outsiders. Unfortunately, they also hold all the answers. On the shortest night of the year, Tuva must fight to save her friend. The only question is... Who will be there to save Tuva? Uh, it is the third book in the Tuva Moodison books. The first uh, being Dark Pines and Red Snow, as I said at the beginning of that blurb. Uh, I haven't actually read the first ones, but that doesn't seem to matter. Uh, there are the uh, odd reference here and there, which I don't get. Uh, for instance, uh, they're walking past a, a building and... Tuva has some bad memories of it. It doesn't say why, but it's one line and they and they sort of move on. So they don't really they don't really distract. Uh, but I am really enjoying it, like I said, particularly Will Dean's writing. It's really descriptive, which helps you uh, really connect with the environment that uh, Tuva is in. Um, for instance, he uses a clock face description to describe the settlement in Snake River, which means you can instantly see it. She comes in at nine o'clock, uh, at twelve o'clock there's this, at you know two o'clock she sees this, and and it helps you get a really sort of I mean it's bird's eye view of this whole area. But there are other lines that I liked, pieces of observation, uh, such as the quote from one character, "Just because there's no night time, don't mean there's no darkness." I don't know why I did it in that accent, but. Uh, I, I don't do Swedish, I know that much and I know that wasn't Swedish uh, but I liked that line um, so I wrote it down whilst I was reading but even just simple things like at one point mentions how toothpaste and brushing your teeth can improve your mood and he's right, you know, you can make your whole body feel fresh and out, and it makes your outlook feel fresh and, and sort of wakes you up as well uh, so that's perhaps a good piece of advice that we could all do with at the moment. Uh, brush your teeth. It will cheer you up. And you might have forgotten to do it because you're not leaving the house. 
Uh, regarding the plot, though, I am still getting for it, but I do like the distinctions between Tammy and another missing woman, uh, Lisa. Tammy is of Thai descent, uh, but Lisa is um, completely Swedish. She's blonde and uh, and actually more friendly in within the community. Both of them were born in Sweden. They are both Swedish, but Tammy has Thai Thai parents. Um, and there's this big, huge public outcry when Lisa goes missing, but nobody is really that bothered about Tammy. In fact, they're actually putting up flyers over the top about Lisa, over the top of flyers about Tammy. And there's been about a day between the two of them going missing, and they've sort of referred to Tammy as being old news. Uh, so I'm looking to see how all that plays out. Um, I will be finishing that very soon. And Black River by Will Dean is available to buy now. In the news this week, uh, it's just been more and more about the coronavirus and the government have finally given out some support for self-employed people, which is me. And I think what they've come up with is largely fair. It, it was sort of where I was expecting, but actually it doesn't help me. And that's okay for now, because actually coronavirus hasn't impacted how I trade. What I am worried about, though, is whether everyone else will still have money to buy books if this goes on. Uh, I know most people are being reduced to 80% salaries. You know, where, where, do you, where do you start cutting? And I'm due to open a bookshop, a physical bookshop, at some point this summer. If that gets delayed, uh, I, you know... Um, that will that will call, start to cause me problems. I, I first planned about 12 to 18 months of um, not taking a wage from the business uh, so that I could grow it to a point. And actually it has, it's going really well this month. And I think that's before any boost we might have had from the lockdown. March has been good. But majority of my the money that I have left is earmarked for building the bookshop. So I do need... Uh, this lockdown to go away and I know everybody does but at the moment I'm I can't get any support from the government but assuming this level of lockdown doesn't go on forever uh, Burt's will be okay but I would like it very much if you all could continue to buy books and I know for most of you that isn't going to be a problem it is time to check in with the bestseller charts. Now, I did warn a couple of weeks ago that we might see the numbers start to decrease with so many shops being shut, but it does look like the run-up to Mother's Day has helped reduce some of that impact because in the book world, we've had the second highest week of the year in terms of actual books sold. Now, I don't know what that looks like year on year. The chances are it's probably significantly down but hopefully we are not going to see the numbers just plummet next week there is uh, just one new entry this week it's the chain by adrian mckinty and that one says this your phone rings a stranger has kidnapped your child to free them you must abduct someone else's child your child will be released when your victim's parents kidnap another child if any of these things don't happen, your child will be killed. Victim, survivor, abductor, criminal. You will become each one. I said it in that voice because it's all written in, in, in capitals. Anyway, that is the one new entry this week. It is time to find out 
where it has entered um, using data which has been sourced from the Nielsen Bookscan Total Consumer Market Club. At number 10, it is that new entry for Adrian McKinty, The Chain. Down one place at nine is Tidelands by Philippa Gregory, while Leslie Pierce falls three places to eight with You'll Never See Me Again. The Beekeeper of Aleppo by Christy Lefteri is a re-entry at seven, whilst Anne Cleese holds fast at six with the long call, knocking up her fifth week in the top ten. Girl Woman Other by Bernadine Evaristo is up two places at five, but Dilly Court is down to at four with a village scandal. It's no move at three for David Baudacli and One Good Deed, while the only book to be in the top ten every week of the year so far is up two places to two. It's The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse by Charlie Maxey, which means that Hilary Mantel holds on to the number one spot for the third week running with The Mirror and The Light. Come back next week to find out if she can make it four weeks. That is all I have for this week. I'm hoping to get the chance to read a bit more this week, but it is bundle day on Wednesday, so most of my time will be spent packing up books for everyone. Uh, I will definitely read, though, The Authenticity Project, so come back and find out what I think about that. In the meantime, I would, of course, love to hear from you about anything book-related, what you're reading, what you're writing, etc., etc., what you would like me to talk about in the podcast, if there are books coming that you'd like to know a bit more about, a favorite, tell me your favourite author if you want to know when their next book's coming out, and I will try and find out for you. You can get in touch on social media at Burt's Books or via email at bert at burtsbooks.co.uk. Finally, if you have enjoyed listening to this podcast, please rate and review on your podcast store and share it with your friends. I am off to finally finish that jigsaw. I will put a picture of it up on Instagram probably when it is done because I will be incredibly proud. Some of it was really, really difficult. Uh, But I will be back next week. Uh, So in the meantime, stay at home, keep reading and stay safe.